is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue here with you this Saturday morning here on KGMI. We're going to start out with our weekly wrap. And it was a trend down week for the stock market following a big run up in a short amount of time. Entering this week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 19.9% this quarter. That would be since the 1st of October. The S&P 500 mid-cap 400 was up 16.8%. The Russell 2000 was up 13.7%. And the S&P 500 was up 13.6%. And the NASDAQ Composite was up 8.4%. These gains were partially predicated on the notion that the Fed may be apt to soften its approach, a view that was presumably aided by Fed Fed Chair Powell's speech last week. Buyer enthusiasm was reined in this week, however, as festering concerns that the Fed might over-tighten and trigger a period of much weaker growth, if not an actual recession, rose to the forefront. The main sticking point for the stock market participants is that weaker growth outlook does not bode well for 2023 earnings growth prospects. A stronger-than-expected ISM non-manufacturing index for November at 56.5 was 50.4 prior also bolstered the view that the Fed is apt to keep rates higher for longer. So it was a disappointing start to a historically strong month for the stock market. The S&P 500 had the worst start to a month with five consecutive losses since 2011, according to Bloomberg. And concerns that the Fed is going to trigger a deeper economic setback have been evident in the Treasury market for some time now. An inversion in the yield curve, which has deepened this week, has often been a, a leading indicator of a recession. The, two th- the, two, the two-year to 10-year spread is now the widest it's been since the early 1980s. The two-year note yield rose five basis points to 4.34%, and the 10-year note rose six basis points to 3.57%. Those, gro- those growth concerns started to register more noticeably on the stock market this week. All 11 S&P 500 sectors lost ground, but the slimmest losses were registered by the counter-cyclical utilities, down three-tenths of 1%, healthcare down 1.3%, consumer staples down 1.8%, and the sharpest losses were logged by energy down 8.4%, communication services down 5.4%, and consumer discretionary down 4.5%. Collapsing oil prices were another manifestation of the market's growth concerns. The West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil Futures fell 10.5% this week to 71.58 a barrel, despite reports that China is easing up on its zero-COVID-related policies. And the market's slowdown worries were further collaborated by some cautious-sounding remarks about consumers and or the economic outlook from the CEOs of J.P. Morgan Chase, Walmart, and Union Pacific. Market participants did receive some economic data that reflected a welcome moderation in wage-based inflation. The revised third-quarter productivity report showed a softer 2.4% increase in unit labor costs than the preliminary estimate of 3.5%. When stocks did not rally on the data, though, cognizant that the driver of weaker inflation will be weaker growth, and that could lead or will lead to further cuts in earnings estimates. The rate <clears throat> the role of wage-based inflation in the Fed's policy decisions was highlighted this week by an article in the Wall Street Journal with, with some by Nick Timmermans, who some believe is a preferred source of float of the Fed's thinking. He suggested that the wage inflation could only compel the Fed in 2023 to take a benchmark rate higher than the 5% that the market currently expects. In other news this week, the Federal Trade Commission is seeking to block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. 
looking forward to next week. <coughs> Market participants will be focused on the November Consumer Price Index on Tuesday after the Producer Price Index for November came in hotter than expected this last Friday. Uh, on heels of the CPI report, participants will be eyeing the FOMC decision, that is your Fed decision, and release of updated economic projections on Wednesday. So, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down 7.9%. The NASDAQ is down 29.7%. The S&P 500 is down 17.5%. And the Russell 2000 is down 20%. Well, let's take a look at some of our free high-frequency tracking data that we uh, follow every week. And we saw that initial jobless claims for the week ending December 2nd were 230,000. That was actually a decrease of, or an increase of 1.8%. Uh, continuing jobless claims as of November 25th, 1,675,000. That was also an increase of 3.9%. In looking at box office receipts for the week ending December 8th, they were down another 41.5%. Uh, rail traffic uh, as of December 2nd, huge increase, 19.9%. That probably reflects the fact we saw a decrease last week, expecting there could be a strike. A lot of shippers were looking for alternative ways to uh, ship goods. And of course, when that strike was uh, mandated, settled by Congress, that takes that pressure off. Anyway, and steel production, as of December 5th, was up three-tenths of 1%. Hotel occupancy, as of December 3rd, the week ending was up 9.9%. We also saw the operational state of restaurants as of December 7th had an additional drop of two-tenths of 1%. TSA checkpoint data as of December 8th, average of 2,009,116 passengers a day. That was a drop of 6.9% week over week. And supply of motor gasoline as of December 2nd was up about a half a percent. And global commercial flights as of October 8th, 100,068 a day. That is up 1.8% over the previous week. This is Dick Downey here with you, and Wealth Advisor here with uh, on KGMI. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll thank you for being with us today. This year, you should give your family the peace of mind that comes with a comprehensive estate and retirement plan. Hello, folks. This is Elder Law Attorney Phil George. I'm the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. and the founder of Safe Harbor Legal Solutions. Do you want to make sure your family doesn't have to go through probate if you pass? Do you want to avoid death taxes? Do you want to have a plan in place that will reduce or remove the burden on your family if something should happen to you? At Safe Harbor Legal Solutions, we practice a comprehensive and collaborative approach to estate and retirement planning that will help you set your family up for success. Don't let another year go by without getting your planning in order. Learn more by joining me for a free seminar in Bellingham on Saturday the 7th of January at 11 a.m. We'll be at the Spring Hill Suites by Marriott on Northwest Avenue. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at www.safeharborlegal.com. That's www.safeharborlegal.com or by calling 360-746-7169. That's 360-746-7169. Ready or not, the holidays are upon us. Wilson's can help. Living room, dining, bedroom, any room in your house can be made ready for the holidays. Wilson's Furniture opens seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Have a happy and safe holiday season from everyone at Wilson's Furniture. Hi there, it's Scott from Pentatonix. So from the beginning of our journey in music, the foundation has been music education. It's so incredibly important that we continue to show kids the importance of music in our schools, in our homes, and even in the car. Music is such a powerful expression of emotion and individuality, and we are responsible for keeping the love for music alive. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. Tired of slinging french fries and want to work in a company with a future? CHS Northwest has openings for a few great people. Enjoy a higher minimum wage, great benefits, a team environment, and room for growth with a successful company. For all the details, check out chsnw.com slash employment. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue, Wealth Advisor, Certified Financial Planner, Credit Investment Fiduciary, all those nice little things that we are. 
We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. While you're over there, you can look under Insights. You'll see a lot of information that we post weekly, uh, some of it daily even on market conditions and market analysis. You might find that interesting. Also under podcasts, you can click on podcasts and you can listen to our previous shows if in case you miss one or you hear us talk about something or you're not sure what we said. And you always call and ask me what I said, but uh, you can also click on those podcasts and go in there and listen to our shows. So, okay, well, uh, we're seeing that many women report that they have 50% less income in retirement. And this is a interesting story because women far, 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 far too often lag behind in retirement savings. It's having a significant impact in the golden years. This is a new study that came out from Goldman Sachs. And they said that in 58% of women retirees in, in the United States report that they have 50% or less income than in retirement than they had while they were working, even when they include their Social Security. And notably, 20% of women retirees have reached 70% of their pre-retirement income. Only 20% of women retirees have reached 70% of their pre-retirement income, while 30% of men also have 70%, according to the study. The savings deficits are compounded by the fact that women uh, live three years longer in average than men, requiring more, not less, savings to have a comfortable retirement. And the time women spend on the workforce to care for children or elderly family members is a critical factor that contributes to their savings deficits. According to the study, two four-year periods out of the workforce, one in mid-career and one later on, can reduce retirement savings by up to 35%. And while 50% of men said that they're retired earlier than planned, the percentage rose to 61% for women. Only 15% of women said that they retired because their savings were sufficient to fund their retirement, while 25% of men said that their savings were sufficient. Of the 66% of women who said they retired for reasons outside of their control, they most often cited health reasons, named by 29%, the need to take care of family, cited by 16%, or the fact that their job was no longer available, cited by 15%. Women saving for retirement now must, all, must re also report it being woefully behind. A significantly larger percentage of women, 50%, said that they were behind schedule, something said by only 35% of men. Furthermore, 24% of women said that they were very behind schedule, while 14% of men were, and nearly half of all women, or 47%, said that they felt, they, they felt on track to re, uh, ahead of, or ahead of schedule, a much larger percentage of men also said that they, 64% of them said that they were ahead of schedule. <clears throat> and while 69% of retired women reported that they managed their own retirement savings, only 63% of men said the same. Women also expressed quite a bit more discomfort in doing so, and 63% reported stress or anxiety compared with 52% of men, and 31% called it very stressful versus 20% of the men. There were also a number of topics women said that they wanted guidance or advice about. 34% said they wanted to understand how long their savings will last. 33% wanted to know how to adjust their retirement savings if they're not on track. And 32% said they wanted guidance on a retirement savings strategy for example, how much to save, and another 32% said they wanted advice about generating retirement income. And despite the uh, added complexity in managing their retirement savings over their careers, women were less likely than men to use outside resources as employer, such as employer programs or financial advisors. Yet more women, 46%, considered it very or extremely important to receive financial advice, something only 40% of men said. And unfortunately, family members were the top source of the advice for women. And the difference in utilization of these resources highlights the gap in retirement, uh, in retirement advisors being able to meet women where they work and um, <clears throat> personalized savings uh, and, and investing strategies can enhance confidence and long-term success, uh, particularly for women. So 
big gap there. It's important for people to be aware of. Also, we saw a report come out this week that said that the U.S. year-ahead inflation, that is next year, fall to the lowest level since 2021. Basically, the report said that U.S. short-term inflation expectations uh, unexpectedly declined to the lowest level in more than a year, and consumer sentiment picked up, helped by falling gasoline prices. Uh, consumers expect prices will climb at an annual rate of 4.6% over the next year, down from 4.9% that was expected a month earlier. In the lowest since September of 21, according to preliminary December reading from the University of Michigan, and long-term inflation expectations held at 3%. The uh, U.S. year-ahead inflation expectations continue to ease, according to the Michigan survey. It puts medium expected change at more than one year low. The sentiment index increased to 59.1 from 59.56.8. And that was the data that was released yesterday and the medium estimate in the Bloomberg survey of economists calling a reading of 57. <clears throat> Consumers' uh, concerns over high prices in a variety of contexts have eased somewhat over the last month, though these concerns are still substantially higher than they were a year and a half ago, showing that the decline in year-ahead inflation expectations was not solely an artificial uh, artifact of uh, current gas prices. The pullback in inflation expectations was broad across demographic groups. Inflation has showed signs of easing in recent months. It is projected to slow further as fresh data out next week, but consumers still face historically high prices. And the report showed the median expected change in incomes rose to the highest in 15 years, but half of all respondents said that they expect inflation to outstrip those gains over the coming year. And the Federal Reserve estimates to, uh, continues, continues to raise interest rates. Economic uncertainty that includes recession concerns is also weighing in on the sentiment. The current conditions gauge expressed uh, increased to 60.2 from 58.8. This is a measure of expectations rose to 58.4 this month from 55.6. And buying conditions for durable goods improved. And consumer perception of the labor market was little changed. With continued erosion of buying power of consumers, rapid increases in credit card and auto load balances, and continued concerns over the high cost of borrowing, the strength, in, the strength in spending we have seen in this past year will be difficult to sustain. So we'll have to see where we go on that. And, you know, most people over age 65 have received what we call the IRMA notification letters that outline their Medicare costs for 2023. You know, in the past, I guess I have to say, I look forward to checking my mailbox between Thanksgiving and New Year's or Christmas and for holiday cards from friends and family near and far. Another one of those traditions that seems to be fading away, not getting as many Christmas cards these days. These days, the only letter I can count on is the annual notice at the Social Security Administration each November detailing how much my wife and I will pay for our Medicare next year. And most Medicare beneficiaries will pay the standard Part B premium, which next year is going to be $164.90 a month. That is down slightly from this year's premium of $170.10. But Medicare Part B covers doctor's fees and and outpatient services. If you couple that with a huge 8.7% cost of living adjustment in Social Security benefits next year, most retirees will enjoy larger monthly net Social Security benefits after automatic deductions for their Part B premiums in 23. But about 8%, or about 5 million of those people that received the letter of the nearly 63 million Medicare beneficiaries are going to pay more than their standard monthly premium for the Part B and their Part D prescription drug plan, um, me included. For 2023, single beneficiaries with incomes of 97000 or more Married couples with incomes of over 194000 or more pay a Medicare premium surcharge, officially known as Income-Related Monthly Adjustment, or IRMA. Thrice thresholds increase from 91000 and 182000 respectively, this year. So from 91 to 97, 182 to 194, meaning that some beneficiaries may avoid IRMA surcharges altogether or pay less this year due to the inflation adjustments of income tiers, which will trigger those surcharges that could help some people. And the IRMA surcharges are based on your latest available tax return from two years ago. 
For example, the 23 charges are going to be based on your 21 tax return that was filed in 22. And Social Security uses Modified Adjusted Gross Income, or MAGI, which includes adjustments of gross income plus any tax-exempt interest that you may have from municipal bonds to determine income thresholds for your IRMA charges. And surcharges are based on household income. So even if one spouse is enrolled in Medicare, the monthly costs are based on that joint income. So in 23, charges for Medicare Part B range from $65.90 a month to an extra $395.60 per month per person. And that's on top of the standard premium at $164.90. And then surcharges are triggered for five income tiers altogether. They range from $97,000 to $500,000 for individuals and from $194,000 to $750,000 for married couples filing jointly. The higher the income, the bigger the surcharge. The same income tiers apply to Part D prescription drug plans, where IRMA surcharges range from an additional $1,220 a month to an additional $7,640 a month per person. Part D premiums will vary widely by plan. In some situations, Medicare beneficiaries can appeal an IRMA surcharge if their income has declined due to life-changing events such as marriage, divorce, loss of spouse, retirement, or a reduction in work hours. So I had a radio listener that called me the other day because he'd been because uh, I talk about these things quite a bit and he said it seemed to be that he would be that poster child for an Irma appeal. He said that his wife retired fully as of January 1st of this year and he had been semi-retired at the same date. He said their income has dropped close to 100,000 this year. He said his wife received an Irma notification letter that she must pay an additional $65.80 a month for her Part B premium, an extra $12.20 for her Part D, which is a prescription drug plan next year. He wanted to know if it was worth it to them to contest the church surcharge now, or do they have to wait until their 20, they file their 22 return? So basically, I urged him to go ahead and appeal the surcharge now. He can do so by filing uh, Form SSA-44. That's Form SSA-44 which is the Medicare income-related monthly adjustment amount life-changing event. And that's explained in the IRMA notification letter that you should have received. Or you can call Social Security at 800-772-1213. That's 800-772-1213. He'll need to submit proof of his wife's retirement and his reduction in work hours, such as letters from their employers. In the case of marriage, divorce, or death of a spouse, the appropriate documents will be needed, such as a death certificate, a marriage license, a divorce decree, as proof of these life-changing events. SSA can't make a new IRMA decision if your income has declined for a reason other than one of those that we just listed, such as life-changing events. For example, if your income declined following a one-time speaking income that was due to capital gains or a Roth IRA conversion, it would not qualify as a life-changing event. That added income would increase your Medicare premium for at least a year. If your income is substantially declined, then you so would your future premiums in the future. So if you do appeal, um, you're going to get a statement that, that, are, that basically they may continue to take those increased premiums out until they approve your appeal. And if they do approve it, then they will go ahead and reimburse that money to you. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here in KGMI. We'll be back. Thanks for listening. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over 18 million in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic. And together with PSE Foundation, gave 4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSE continues to lead on clean energy with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at psc.com slash together. For quality done right, call Han Coop Gravel. They use state-of-the-art technology to get your job done in a timely, accurate, and economical way. For projects as small as refreshing the driveway and as large as a multi-million dollar builder-ready plat development, their services include multi-unit site preparation, fire line installation, drainage systems, house foundations, and more. They'll do custom projects too, turning your dream idea into a reality. If you need site work, you need the team at Han Coop Gravel in Linden or at hancoop.com. 
This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call the Upside. The Assistance League of Bellingham is a part of a national organization with 120 chapters throughout the United States. They are an all-volunteer 501c3, and their thrift and gift store on Meridian Street funds various programs throughout the year, such as their Summer Enrichment Scholarship Program for Whatcom County High School and Middle School students to attend the summer programs of their choice. This summer, the Assistance League of Bellingham awarded $47,900. For more information on the Assistance League, visit assistanceleague.org slash Bellingham. The Upside is brought to you from a grant provided by Bayside Coin and Jewelry, located in the Iowa Business Park. Choose from their large jewelry selection or their master jewelers can create the perfect Christmas gift. If you have good news to report, email it to us at theupside at cascaderadiogroup.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. Soccer writer Grant Wall collapsed and died yesterday at the stadium where the Netherlands and Argentina played in Doha. CBS's Peter King. Wall's agent Tim Scanlon says he was covering his eighth World Cup and reporting on several platforms, not overworked because that's what he lived for. He celebrated his 48th birthday Thursday. After a grueling almost 10 months in a Russian prison, Brittany Griner's back in the U.S. She's being checked out at an Army Medical Center in San Antonio. Phoenix Mercury's head coach, Vanessa Nygaard. She was a leveling force for the team in the past. She is a peacemaker, a quiet person, a calm person, somebody who gets along with everybody and brings fun. And so we did definitely miss that spirit. The former Minneapolis police officer who kneeled on George Floyd's back was sentenced to three and a half years. He was not simply a bystander in what happened that day. Attorney Matthew Frank, CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donnie, your wealth advisor with you this Saturday morning. You know, most boomers, Gen Xers, have no plans to sell their homes, according to a new study. So don't count on baby boomers or Gen Xers to sell their homes anytime soon. This is according to a survey by Bank of America. The survey found that 70% of homeowners ages 45 to 76 plan on or have retired in the home that they already own. And the decision of the older generation to stay put in their homes could be significant for the already depressed residential real estate inventory because Gen Xers and Boomers account for about 70% or 84.7 million owner-occupied homes in the U.S. And the recent data by Realtor.com shows that a 50% drop in active home listings from 1,468,901 units to 732,276 units between July of 16 and September of this year. And more than three-quarters of those staying in their homes say that they say no reason to move. Another 22% indicated that they put a lot of work in their homes and would rather not move. And the 2022 Homebuyer Insights Report by Bank of America pointed out that 61% of Gen X and 69% of baby boomers Homeowners have renovated or remodeled their homes to fit their lifestyles. Bank of America said the motivation for homeowners to hold on to their homes is also because of market conditions. The current housing market shows that sellers don't want to give up their low mortgage rates for purchase of new properties. 95% of current mortgage holders benefit from loans with rates that are 5% or less. It is noteworthy that 
median rent payments increased by 8.1% year-over-year in September. And when asked what would do if they retired today, considering market conditions, 32% of pre-retirees said that they would remain in their current home to avoid today's high high home prices and interest rates. 20% said they would stay in their home because their mortgage payment is low or that they already paid it off, which is 20% of them. And 10% said that they would sell their home either to find a home with a lower cost of living or to leverage the equity that they've already built into their homes. And although baby boomers and Gen Xers are not inclined to sell their homes, they are supportive of the next generation in their homeownership quest. 38% said they plan to give the next generation money to buy a home and give them their home or, or to give them their home to sell. 36% said they would pass down their home for the next generation to live in. And 12% said they plan to live uh, or, or they plan to offer to live together in a multi-generational space. And this study was conducted in October, it included 1,554 adult homeowners ages 45 to 76. And while we're talking about home ownership, saw another interesting report that came out talking about the 10 most expensive U.S. zip codes. And they have, 100, they have an annual ranking of the 100 most expensive zip codes in the nation. It was basically dominated by two states. It's the third annual ranking of real estate by Realty.hop, RealtyHop.com, I should say, found that the nation's 100 most expensive zip codes are located in just 13 states, and 81% of the zip codes are located in New York and California. And California has 59 of the wealthy zip codes. New York has 21. Massachusetts and Jersey tied for third place with three each. And although the national housing market cooled last year because of rising mortgage rates, the studies found that the most expensive zip codes saw overall price increases with 60 zip codes at median price point of at least $2.5 million, compared with 47 of those in 21. And the median price point out of the 100 most expensive zip codes is $2,749,500. That was an increase of 11.3% from last year. And following the uh, most zip, so let's talk a little bit about who who those top ten are. Number one at the, or I'm, I'm sorry, number ten in the list was Bridgehampton, New York, at four million three hundred ninety-five thousand. That's the average home there. Newport Beach, California, was number nine on the list at four million six hundred seventy-four thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. Next in line was um, Ross, California at $4,699,500. The uh, number seven was Montecito, California, at $4,995,000. The number six in line was Watermill, New York, at $5,500,000. Fisher Island, Florida, $6,100,000. Uh, Boston was number four on the list, most expensive at six million, zip code, I should say, at 6200000 Los Angeles had the third most expensive zip code at $6,699,500. The number two most expensive uh, zip code was, was Sag- Sagaponic, New York, and that was 6672500 and the most expensive zip code in the country was Atherton, California, at $9 million. So kind of interesting to see some of those ranges and values across the country. Uh, while I'm talking about real estate, I'm going to hit on something I found kind of interesting this week. We've seen, I saw a couple of bulletins come out where uh, non-traded REITs, and basically... The non-traded REIT industry, the chickens have come home to roost. Basically, they were sold by some wirehouses as far as long as, as well as a lot of independent advisors. And um, basically what they are, the real estate investment trusts and the rising interest rates and fears of recession hanging over the commercial real estate market. We saw two giant REITs. One is the $70 billion Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust. The other was the $14.6 billion Starwood Real Estate Income Trust. This month told investors that they will limit, at least for now, a program in which a restricted number of clients can pull money from the illiquid investments, a process that the industry uh, calls share redemption. So in other words, if you own these REITs, 
you're now going to be restricted. They're only going to restrict a certain amount of people that can take money out of them every month. And the liquidity issue is squarely in the laps of financial advisors who have never dealt with these difficulties uh, posted uh, by non-traded REITs before. A lot of advisors, uh, a lot of independent advisors, investment houses, wire houses, including Morgan Stanley, uh, up for almost, almost half a decade, financial advisors or independent broker-dealers advisors of independent contractors and uh, they're not sold the overwhelming majority of the non-traded REITs. Uh, basically, uh, I can tell you from personal experience, I sold some of these things back in the 80s and early 90s. I found out then what the problems were. I haven't sold one now for over 30 years, only because I've seen what's happened in the past. So, you know, it seems like this past comes up. Well, in the past, some non-traded REITs have had issues with shutting off redemptions, unclear valuations, high fees, a lack of liquidity, and being able to generate enough revenue to cover those monthly and quarterly payments to investors called distributions. So, you know, I basically, again, I say I don't care for non-traded REITs. You know, some investors may have rushed into it, but there's a trade-off between non-traded REITs and those that trade on an exchange. So you can get REITs that do trade on an exchange. Uh, you can buy them in a lot of different forms, but they have already gone public and they, they've, gone, they've matured. But it's, it's between volatility and liquidity. In a listed REIT, there's more volatility because they'll go up and down with the market. The non-traded REIT doesn't go up and down as much, so a lot of investors went into them because they preferred that lack of volatility. Well, on December 1st, Blackstone's REIT told investors that redemptions that exceed the monthly limit of 2% of its net asset value in October or 5% for the entire quarter would be pushed uh, – uh, which push the company to prorate those amount or limit the proration portion of transfer uh, investor demands. That means some investors who wanted to get their money out of the fund were turned away, at least for now. And this week, Starwood REIT also came out with some limitations on withdrawals as well. So non-traded REITs have had problems in the past, particularly during and after the credit crisis in 2008 when some large non-traded REITs saw their valuations fall precipitately as a result of the share sharp declines in commercial real estate. Many financial advisors or independent broker-dealers sold the REITs promising returns that were steady and even bond-like, to use a term, use a term of art. Unlike publicly traded companies, non-traded investments like REITs or business development companies aren't listed on an exchange, which means that there's no immediate market for investors to sell their shares if they're worried or if they're thinking it's time to get out. What's different about Blackstone, referred to as BREIT in the industry, and Starwood are their huge size and the exposure that they have from a lot of salespeople from both wirehouses and the independent market. And the question hanging over financial advisors who have sold these non-traded REITs is clear. There's another significant was there no, will another significant REIT follow in the steps of Blackstone or Starwood? And there's little doubt that many investors are eager to get out of their REITs, according to some analysts. But monthly fundraising is declining throughout the year. The Fed is pushing up interest rates. Uh, according to uh, Robert Stanger Company, which follows this, they wrote a research note last month. They said the current monthly run rate is being met by substantial levels of redemptions. For the most recent quarter, redemptions were approximately 50% of fundraising. And, St- and St- Stanger expects this trend to continue through at least the first quarter of next year. So a little FYI, you're not hearing about it if you're not seeing about it. But it's something we don't do. We don't sell non-traded REITs simply because we've been there. We've seen it before, and it isn't any fun. Dick Donahue with you. Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. This year, you should give your family the peace of mind that comes with a comprehensive estate and retirement plan. Hello, folks. This is Elder Law Attorney Phil George. I'm the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. and the founder of Safe Harbor Legal Solutions. Do you want to make sure your family doesn't have to go through probate if you pass? Do you want to avoid death taxes? Do you want to have a plan in place that will reduce or remove the burden on your family if something should happen to you? At Safe Harbor Legal Solutions, we practice a comprehensive and collaborative approach to estate and retirement planning that will help you set your family up for success. Don't let another year go by without getting your planning in order. Learn more by joining me for a free seminar in Bellingham on Saturday the 7th of January at 11 a.m. We'll be at the Spring Hill Suites by Marriott on Northwest Avenue. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at www.safeharborlegal.com. That's www.safeharborlegal.com or by calling 360-746-7169. That's 360-746-7169. 
Tis the season of savings during DeWard and Bodie's annual year-end clearance sale starting now. The year-end sale is your chance to get end-of-season savings on the best in-stock selection of appliances, barbecues, mattresses, and more. You'll find incredible savings on closeout appliances, floor models, one-onlys, and slightly blemished appliances. Get year-end deals on a huge selection of laundry sets, refrigerators, wall ovens, cooktops, ranges, and so much more. Plus, mattresses, adjustable bases, boxes, pillows, and sheets. This weekend, save up to $300 on select Whirlpool and GE laundry sets, plus score instant rebates on select Bosch dishwashers, refrigerators, and ranges. Shop now for guaranteed installation before Christmas on select in-stock products while availability lasts. Save your holiday cash and pay no money down and no interest for up to 18 months on qualifying appliances and up to 72 months on qualifying mattresses. Shop the year-end sale now at DeWard and Bodie in Bellingham, Burlington and online at DeWardandBodie.com. Financing OAC qualifications apply. If tomorrow all things were gone, I'd work for all my life and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue, financial advisor with you today. Wealth advisor. Uh, got some interesting things. But if you've got questions for us, so give us a call. 360-733-1200. Uh, if you're self-employed and don't have any employees other than possibly a spouse, a uh, little note here for you. The deadline, if you're interested in opening up a solo 401k plan, is December 31st. An IRS considers a business owner with a solo 401k to wear two hats. One is an employee and the other is the employer. As an employee, you can make elective deferrals of $20,500 for this year or $27,000 if you're age 50 or older. Those limits next year are going to jump to $22,500 and $30,000 if you're over 50. As an employer, you can also make additional contributions up to 20% of adjusted gross earnings or adjusted net earnings, I should say. However, there's also an overall limit on combined elective and employer contributions for 2022. That's 61000 or 67500 if you defer that additional 6500 In other words, if you're over age 50. For 2023, those numbers are going to jump to 66000 and 73500 and for many business owners, a solo 401k offers much higher contributions than a SEP or a simple IRA would. And solo 401ks are also exempt from ERISA, which means that plan administration is much simpler and when, than with a company with a 401k. One negative, however, is that solo plans don't benefit from ERISA credit or protection. And the rules for starting up new solo plans became muddled after the SECURE Act was passed. Uh, before 2020, if a company wanted to have a new plan in place for a particular tax year, say 2008-19, it had to formally establish that plan by the last day of the tax year. Now businesses with extra time uh, until the due date um, of the corporate tax return, including extensions. <coughs> so, for example, businesses can open up a new plan for 22 as late as September 30th. However, <coughs> you can't put in the employee contribution, only the employer piece. So there, let's talk about what the problem is here. This is The extended deadline is available only for employer contributions, not for elective deferrals. If you're a sole practitioner, <coughs> if you're a sole proprietor and want to make elective deferrals for a tax year, the IRS says you must make a le- deferral election by the last day of that year. You can't, you can't make an election unless your plan has already been put into place. And tra- uh, translating this into in plain English, if you want solo plan deferrals for this year, you have to adopt the plan, have the deferral set up by December 31st. And if you want to miss that deadline under the SECURE Act, you still have, can set up a plan, but you can only put away the employer contribution, not the elective deferrals. So keep that in the back of your head. Also, we're seeing some IRA rules we'd like to give thanks for this year. One is... Roth conversions. Roth conversions allow the owner to take uh, funds from pre-tax to after-tax. There's a tax bill now, but potentially huge payoff down the road is tax-free distributions and growth. We are grateful for this strategy. 
<clears throat> retirees a peace of mind that comes with not having to worry about future tax rates or the impact of taxable IRA distributions on Medicare, Social Security, or other taxable deductions and credits. That does impact those IRMA charges that I was talking about earlier. So, again, somebody that's got that gap uh, where they retire and up till age 72 before they do RMDs, Roth conversions can be really attractive. You can also have bigger contributions for 23. And while we don't like inflation, when it comes to retirement accounts, there's one bright spot. Inflation has led to the largest cost of living increases in retirement account contribution limits in a long time. Inflation is no fun. We're thankful next year's savers can put away a little more to secure retirement. The IRA contribution limit will increase to $6,500 next year from, from, from $6,000 for those under age 50. Also, catch-up contributions. Time flies, but many workers are, see retirement looming. They feel un, unprepared. Older savers close to retirement can put away a little more with catch-up of a contribution over age 50. That amount right now is $1,000 uh, for 23. Uh, you can put away, an additional, a total, put away a total of $7,500. And the sweet spot, everyone likes flexibility. The sweet spot is where the IRA rules give, us, give that to us. We're thankful. Between ages of 59 and 72, which I just mentioned a minute ago, not only is the 10% early distribution penalty not apply, but there's no mandatory distributions. So required minimum distributions do not start until you're 72. This is a great opportunity for IRA owners to do some IRA distribution and, con- and conversion planning in their own, own timeline without worries of penalties. Uh, they can do what is best for them, not Uncle Sam. And for this, again, we're grateful. Also, QCDs, Qualified Charitable Distributions, allow an own IRA owner to move funds from the IRA to charity tax-free. A QCD is a great way to, to get a tax break for giving if you're charitably inclined and want to and use your standard deduction. QCD can also satisfy an RMD. So if you take out your QCD, you can give it instead of taking the RMD. What is not to like? Well, we're grateful for this tax break. Not only helps the IRA owner, but also helps contribute to the greater good. Okay, well, you know, who's going to pay for Uncle Sam's cheap debt fantasies? You know, all the talk about the size of the national debt is obscuring a problem. The U.S. government made the wrong bet on interest rates, and it's going to cost taxpayers a lot for years to come. The government took on an unprecedented amount of debt in the last five years. Reasonable people can disagree about the level of spending. But the clear policy error was choosing to finance that, expanding it with short-term debt while rates were at low record lows. Now with rates rising, so were the costs of financing all this debt. If you didn't have to be this way, we could have, kicked, we could have locked in rates when they were low. But at the time, there was a pervasive belief that rates would never increase, even though eventually they always do. Now as we face high debt service costs for decades, we can't afford to even forget this lesson. We got used to low rates since they've been around well below 5% for nearly two decades and only seemed to go down. Now rates are rising and causing all kinds of disruption in many sectors of the economy. One saving grace is that many households have a fixed-rate mortgage that shields them from interest-rate risk. The government could have made a similar choice and took out the debt. It's debt. Borrowing short-term, borrowing short is the basic equivalent of taking on an adjustable rate mortgage when the fixed loan could have even, could have been obtained at an absurdly low interest rate. Now the government and we as taxpayers face interest rate risk that will limit our spending in the future. Outstanding U.S. debt increased to $30.5 trillion from $19.6 trillion in the last five years between 2017 and the second quarter of this year. That means it increased over a third. A lot of that spending, actually 50% more, it's up a third, but it's a 50% increase. A lot of that spending was used to get the economy through the pandemic disruptions. But in the years before, macroeconomists argued the government should spend more, not worry to, to so much about debt increases. Interest rates were low. When rates were low, they said, the economic growth generated enough spending. For example, if you can borrow at 2%, invest the money as something that pays 8%, you make a big profit. But that thinking, just like many of the asset management selling a leverage bet, was based on assumption at no risk. That growth would be positive and interest rates wouldn't increase. 
the government might have reduced its risk by locking in these low rates and issuing more long-term debt. A 20-year Treasury was yielding only about 1% in 2020. Instead, the government mostly finances spending with debt that would make it for less than five years. And financing its spending with short-term bonds means the government must roll over the debt when it comes due. The yield on one-year Treasury now is 4.7%, compared to a 20-year rate of 1.46% that the, the government could have locked in in 2021. If rates continue to rise, even as inflation, this will impose big costs on the government and potentially us as taxpayers. The Congressional Budget Office calculated that 10-year rates gradually raised to 4.6%, then servicing the debt will cost 7.2% of GDP by 2052. It was only 1.6% of GDP last year. It hasn't exceeded 3.2% since 1960. So that means 20 years from now or 30 years from now, that GDP, that percentage of GDP is going to be double. Anyway, getting the little music in the background. Got to go. Thanks for being with us. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, talking about this week's economic news. Thanks for listening. You have questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. Have a great week. Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.